Please remember, conversations during EY podcasts should not be relied upon as accounting, tax, legal investment, nor other professional advice. Listeners must consult their own advisors. As cutthroat and competitive as business is, for us, business is just part of the process of delivering the vision. And we're here to see change at scale in the world. And if people want to join us, let's get creative, right? Let's find a way. Truth is, humanity can save itself and our planet. And right at this very moment, there's someone who's taken on this challenge and is on a path to solving an incredibly tough global problem. This podcast was created to tell you about them. You're listening to Better Heroes, a show from the global EY organization about the untold stories of entrepreneurs devoting their lives to impactful innovation. And I'm your host, Matt C. Smith. Employees today want to work for businesses that have purpose. But what does that actually mean? And are businesses following their employees' lead? In a world with consumerism, can businesses actually make a difference? Today's guests answer those questions with a resounding yes. Businesses can make a difference. And Daniel Flynn's thank you proves that. The company sells its products in pharmacies and supermarkets across Australia and New Zealand. But what really makes it special is that it puts all the profits from its sales towards fighting extreme poverty. Terence Jaratnam is an EY partner and Asia-Pacific climate change and sustainability service leader. He joined EY after they acquired his sustainability and climate change advisory firm. Today's episode is about the difference businesses can make in a world if we change our lens. I kick things off by having a chat with Daniel. We started a social enterprise in 2008, and the premise back then hasn't changed today. We look at the world and we see one world with two extremes. So we see extreme poverty. Right now, there's 719 million people living in extreme poverty. And then we also look at consumerism, and we see the statistic that reads $63 trillion of combined consumer consumption. And we look at that and think, one world, two extremes, could we bridge them? Mm. And so thank you as a social enterprise, we sell consumer product that exists all for the mission. And in a sense, it's a bridge. It, it's how do we get the consumption dollar, the consumer spending dollar, and how do we get it to right this wrong that shouldn't exist? And how do we define extreme poverty? And we've all heard about poverty and I come from, from South Africa and I had learned that continentally since 2016, we'd had a reduction. You know, we plateaued in poverty increasing globally, and now we're actually in the decline, but extreme poverty seems to be on the rise. So how do we define that? So extreme poverty is people living on less than $2.20 a day. That is one of the measures. There is a, a second, more complicated, kind of multi-dimensional index that is looked at. But to your point, we are experiencing for the first time in two decades, a, a rise in extreme poverty. And mm. that is due to the pandemic. We do remind people, though, that there is hope. 200 years ago, 90% of the world lived in extreme poverty. That classification 100 years ago, it was 77%. Mm. And in 1996, it was down to 33% of the world. So right now at 719 million, we're talking about 10% of the world still in it. But the goal is to end it. And, you know, we're not the only people working on it. Many, many, many great 
people and organizations are, but we do believe it's possible. Mm. Why is it important to take, I mean, it's obvious, but but why is it important for you as well and the mission with thankyou.co to take this number, reduce it? And is that move people into poverty or is that to move them out of extreme and poverty and, and to, into whatever the realm is in between that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Obviously, that, that doesn't necessarily sound good. You know, our, our job at Thank is to move people into poverty, but it is a spectrum. Mm. You know, some of our partners think about raising the village. They're doing incredible work with the ultra poor. So this is people on, on less than 40 cents a day, right? So beyond extreme into ultra, the goal is to move people up the spectrum and up the scale. The ultimate goal, of course, is to completely eradicate poverty and all the things that go with it. Lack of education, hunger, disease. But for now, Thank You is focused on extreme poverty. And like Daniel said, they've already had some success. So extreme poverty is, as it sounds, it is extreme. And if we can eradicate it, the next job obviously will become kind of the next rung up and we will get focused on that, but it is a different situation to extreme. It's interesting to see sort of consumerism as a solution, as opposed to what we tend to be told that consumerism is very much an issue and uh, we should be reducing, it should be conscious consumerism. So actually on that topic of conscious consumerism, yeah. is that the social enterprise role to create conscious consumerism? And having said that, what kind of products do you produce to sort of allow us to be conscious consumers? Okay, so it does sound at times a bit jarring. We're using consumerism to try and help change or, you know, make a difference in the world. Mm. We think if we can bring products to market that are good for humanity, and so we would define that as both for an individual, from a safety aspect or health aspect, and also for planet, if we can bring that to the table, and then we can commit our profits to helping end extreme poverty. That's the future of consumerism. Mm. And that's what we are working to bring to the table. And for many years we have. So we, it's a perfect opportunity to jump over to our other better hero on this chat today, Terence, my friend. I wanted to, to learn a little bit more about your background and how it's guided you to find these sustainable solutions to social and environmental problems. Yeah. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So... I think it was around the same sort of time frame when Thank You started that I started a consulting firm called Net Balance. And we also at the time started a foundation called Net Balance Foundation. And the idea was that there'll be a for-profit and a not-for-profit working side by side. And a bit like Daniel's story, it was using the consumer market of business wanting to transition to a more sustainable future to also create solutions for not-for-profits and for awareness raising and so on that the foundation was doing. Interestingly, the sort of structure of setting up the Net Balance Foundation meant that we attracted premium talent because purpose-driven professionals who wanted to work in sustainability also liked the idea of giving back. And therefore, we managed to attract really high-quality, much smarter-than-me individuals who I was surrounded with and do some really interesting things back in the mid 2000s, 2007. Mm. I'm curious, Dan, since you've sort of seen the evolution of this space, you know, with your own business, merging that with EY. Today, we have EY Ripples, of course, which is very much 
working a lot to do in the areas you've just mentioned, but how have you seen the evolution of businesses' willingness and interest into implementing sustainability solutions into their core core businesses? As you said, the labor market seems to be waking up to it, but have businesses really woken up to it yet? And are they implementing? And what are they implementing? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, reflecting through my sort of career journey, so I was one of the first environmental engineers that Australia put out. Mm. And at the time when I did my studies, I didn't even study greenhouse gas emissions during the four-year degree. So you can imagine that in the last 30 years of work that we've not only got to know about climate change, but it's become one of the biggest issues facing the planet and facing business, you know, as the world decarbonizes and physical risks start to impact business. So it's happened really quickly and it's been great to be part of solving those issues. Mm. But unfortunately, I don't believe we've even scratched the surface in terms of needing to create the impact. And if you start to then look at all the things that humanity needs, everything's gone backwards. And business can't operate in a world that's dying. Mm. And I think business is coming to terms with it. Um, Lots and lots of businesses are starting to implement ESG within their business. But I see that much more as a good hygiene measure. It's not really, you know, solving the crises that we've got. The instigation for a lot of corporates is the fact that legislation is changing as opposed to their sentiment or feelings towards the cause are changing. Obviously, Daniel, with your work, you're working very much B2C, business to consumer, right? You're trying to use consumer consumption habits to change and and conscious consumption. I'm curious in the world of Terence, you're working with more in the B2B space, business to business space. I mean, are you seeing a conscious corporate consumer emerging or is that driven by consumers that work for these corporates? Uh, We are seeing through studies, there is a conscious consumer. It tends to be about 10% of the market in the Western world who are willing to pay more for a thank you product, who are willing to pay more for a who gives the crap, which is a toilet brand in Australia that is 100% recycled. And they're prepared to pay that premium or buy offsets when they're flying those sort of consumers. And it's about 10% of the market. What we need, Matt, is not for conscious consumers to rise, nor for corporates to become socially responsible. What we need is for corporates to understand that their business models are going to have to change Mm. rapidly because of the change that the planet's going through. Daniel at Thank You killed a whole product line of bottled water. They decided the product simply wasn't sustainable enough to align with their mission. He and Terence agreed that in order to have a social impact, you have to be willing to radically change the way you do business. If I give you one statistic, which is if we weigh up all the mammals that roam the planet, at the moment we've got 30-odd percent, 33% humans, about 60-odd percent domesticated animals, most animals that we eat. We eat about 80 billion animals a year as a race, and there's 4% wild animals Mm. and that is a scary statistic and we've killed off about 50 percent of the wild animal species in the last um 70 percent in the last 50 years Mm. and according to wwf and so these are rapid changes which business needs to evolve 
their business models to cope with. Just like Daniels decided to get rid of the waterline, mm. uh, they've got to make drastic changes. But Daniel, on that topic of you as a business owner in this space, trying to make your own impactful decisions, you willingly said you killed a, a product line because you realized it was not contributing to what you thought it was contributing to, or it was impacting negatively more than you expected. How do you run your business on a day-to-day -day with that sort of mindset and making those quite difficult decisions, which might impact the bottom line, the top line? What is sort of your guiding North Star along those processes? Are there values, visions? Like There is such a tension between mission and vision and purpose of which we absolutely subscribe. This is why we exist. And the tension between that and commercial reality, market factors, risk. And so it is a tension we manage. I think we talk about purpose at Thank You as it is not a coat of paint you put on the outside. Mm. Purpose is the fuel on the inside. And so it fuels everything. It drives the organization. And I think the challenge we've got for organizations, for leaders, for business is because of the trend of purpose, every conference, everyone's talking about it, humans want it. We're all driven by purpose and meaning. And so we have this trend where some organizations are getting the purpose paint out, putting it on, it's a layer deep. Mm. It doesn't affect big change. I think for us at Thank You, our challenge to ourselves and then others, if they're open to it is, well, how does the purpose translate right through to the balance sheet, to the P&L, to the inner room of the most mission-critical discussions that you're having as an organization. How is your purpose present there? Mm. It's interesting because obviously incredibly successful business you've built with advisors and partners such as Terence and, and EY and others, but your guiding star and, and the aim for all of this, of course, as you mentioned, your purpose, your vision, and what is that? What is your What drives you? What is your purpose and your vision personally? We talk about our vision as a world where not one person lives in extreme poverty. And that's a vision that we see, but many others share that vision. And then our mission to get there, that is caught up in this idea of really usurping consumerism, meeting consumers where they're at through product, you know, and delivering to change makers who deliver the ultimate vision. I think for me personally, we're 14 years into this journey. And so a lot of my drive is found in mission and vision getting to meet some of the people who, you know, their lives are different now because thank you played a small role in that. Those conversations that we've had in trips around the world, they are some of the moments in my life I will never forget. And they, they held so much weight because it went from, I mean, I started watching videos of kids who didn't have access to clean water. For me, it was through a computer screen and it was shocking, but in real life to see the reality and then see the change, that vision compels me. So too does the mission. There's a picture in my mind, I suppose, of what thank you could be. Mm. And it is tied up with the potential of if you could get a model that worked and could meet consumers where they're at in one category and then another category, you know, outside of tobacco and guns and a few other things, there may be no, no limits. And so for us, you know, we've got a pretty ambitious idea of where we see thank you going. We're probably going to spend the rest of our life chasing it. And so for me, I think what, what drives me and my purpose is, I think it's found in this idea of injustice and there are injustices in this world that need to change. Mm. Terence, same question to you, actually. You built a business for decades, as you said, 
before it was trendy to be in this space, before it was really accepted or understood. And obviously you teaming up now with EY, of course, I believe they acquired your company in 2014. What has your vision and mission changed or deviated since that acquisition in 2014? Or has it been amplified? So amplification was the intent of merging with EY to Mm. be able to scale what we were doing into more companies and to more countries and geographies. And to an extent, I feel that that's been met. I think the second reason was that I was starting to feel that sustainability was no longer going to be a cottage industry with small consultancy serving business. It was going to go to the big consulting firms. And to be really impactful within executive and boardrooms, you needed to be within an EY. So Mm. I think to that end, those hypotheses have come true. And as I said before, I feel that hasn't necessarily changed my vision. I think the vision and the vision for the team still is to dial back the changes to the planet and to the climate that we're seeing. And we put out a report last year called Enough, which basically criticized incrementalism as the way forward and to make big changes. And that's been, I guess, my sort of difference, you know, pre-EY and now is to talk about business needing to rethink their business models. From this perspective of business-driven solutions for, for ESG, Sarah, sort of, how can businesses and entrepreneurs use their business models to address these climate change issues and environmental issues? So I think there are, well, for me at least, there's two types of entrepreneurs. There's entrepreneurs who are developing things that are not necessarily core to climate or solving planetary problems, but they could embed sustainability in their business models because they're early in their sort of evolution. And then there's sustainability or climate tech type business models that are trying to solve some of the biggest issues that we're facing. And that's where you've got sustainability and climate that's core to the business model. So I, th- I think if I was to sort of say, well, if we're looking at non-core, I'd probably say if you're going to attract the right talent and if you're going to attract the right customers at this stage, B2B, you want to create sustainable, carbon-neutral, ESG-oriented businesses. If you're looking at core, i.e. sustainable products and services, you've got lots going on. And I think um, the world's your oyster as long as you're looking at something that's not already done. But if you look at the whole space of climate, you've got renewable energy, electric cars, electrification, decarbonization, software associated with it. All of that's sort of come into play. And beginning and when understanding where to start as well, I think for entrepreneurs today is, is difficult. Like you said, which issue is most important? Is it human lives? Is it animal lives? Is it the collective utilitarian perspective? I mean, I'm curious, Daniel, where you sort of decide on the next product area. What is the lowest hanging fruit to you know, get us out of extreme poverty? But one thing you do very well, Daniel, is your campaigns. I think we can all agree that anyone, if you're listening to this, friends, and you haven't seen any of thankyou.co's campaigns around their products, I mean, the names alone, you bring humor and personality to issues, right? Tell us a little bit about the No Small Plan campaign. Yeah, that's a big idea. And, and Terence, thank you for your support on the journey. The campaign was called No Small Plan. We joke that it turned into No Short Plan. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the longest things we've ever done. But essentially, the pitch was really simple. 
we extended an olive branch of sorts out to two of our competitors and we sent a public proposal in the form of two glass trucks with these giant proposals in them and it was a proposal to change the world but at a deeper level it was a partnership agreement and the idea was to leverage one of their you know whoever was in uh, one of their manufacturing and distribution capability around the world because essentially thank you we're building another version of that we're coming to compete with that they're talking about purpose we're talking about global scale and so we thought well, what if we formed a partnership and the the idea was simple and in the campaign it was epic we had a lot of consumers around the world posting their support for the idea of partnership and i do think we need more of it in the world the campaign had 2.6 billion uh, media impressions 828 media features in 38 countries we were overwhelmed with the people that approached us during the campaign but there were organizations all around the world independent manufacturers other competitors but many different groups that reached out saying hey we couldn't do the whole world but we could do this region or that region or we've got this innovation or that innovation and that led to what we'd hoped was a few week campaign turning into a few years of consideration of design and then of a whole bunch of work which starts to make its way into the real world the no small plan campaign demanded collective action and global action and thank you is still running with it today it looks different to maybe how we first thought it could but there's a beautiful story of many people working together to take social enterprise to global scale which is really a big focus for us and you know we've met some great people through the campaign too but it's interesting because your model being let's go to them let's not take ourselves too seriously it sounds as if mm-hmm. we have a serious agenda yeah. but let's package that in hey we're open for business we're friendly it seems like that's been your secret sauce right daniel yeah, I mean that is that is our our heart and intention because as cutthroat and competitive as business is for us business is just part of the process of delivering the vision mm. and we're here to see change at scale in the world and if people want to join us let's get creative mm. right let's find a way and so a lot of our campaigns are they're invitations sometimes they have a little bit of an edge to them maybe a few helicopters involved but the, <laughs> the overall idea is you know I think thank you could be summed up by this idea of, and it's really a question, what's in your hand? Mm. And at 19, for me, this wrestle of how big extreme poverty was, and even this idea of like consumer product, I looked at what was in my hand. I was like, well, it's not enough. I've got passion. I've got time, no money, no resource. It's not enough. It turns out I was right and wrong, but it, thank you. As we ask people, what's in your hand, what do you have? And if we work together, what could that create? And so thank you is a series of people using what's in their hand. Mm. Terence, the thing that only screams out to me is trying to make this scalable, right? Because thank you's model and what Daniel's done with his team is incredible, obviously, evidently by their success and results. But how do other businesses implement that without thank yous in every country? Daniel, you have to scale internationally, obviously. We need to have different, you know, clones of you and clones of thank you in every market, right? So go to the brands, the businesses locally to create local change. Because I think obviously going to the ones you're doing, which are across everywhere, of course, but that takes time, right? And like you said, we are against the clock a little bit. The game is still in play, but we haven't got much time on the clock. So Terence, how do other businesses that don't have access to thank you or don't have Daniels to go to or to come to them, in fact, actually, how do they take on and invest in, in ESG solutions? 
what is your sort of going advice to, to them? A generalized question, but but I'm curious. Yeah, so so ESG is an interesting sort of space. ESG, a lot of companies, most companies talk about it, and and really it's around, as I said before, hygiene. If they're looking at changing their business models and scaling, they're going to have to want to acquire a thank you, a partner with a thank you, or come up, you know, have an entrepreneur who is able to build out a business from inside, who's going to break their current business model. Now, that's very hard to do. Daniel says that businesses need to find a social impact space to disrupt and then scale. For example, transitioning from gas to electric cars. We need to see a lot more of that. And, you know, as there's new industries that are created that are social enterprises or biodegradable plastic or industries that are carbon and biodiversity offset funds, these need to be acquired or built out by existing businesses. As you say that, Terence, it just makes me think about, you touched on entrepreneurship, right? Which we mean basically innovating within a corporate, right? You were an entrepreneur yourself and then you were brought in, you know, you merged with, with EY, brought that sort of entrepreneurial thinking inside, working in the areas you're doing. Daniel, you know, you are the, you're the media's favorite type of entrepreneur. Started at 19, big mission vision, but you've actually executed because, you know, the difference between an idealist and an entrepreneur is execution over time. Hmm. It's evident we need more of you, Daniel. We need more entrepreneurs doing things like you are, working with Terences and corporates such as EY who are open to innovate, creating initiatives like Ripples and things of that nature. But Daniels, I'm curious, how are you playing a role in supporting other entrepreneurs, inspiring them? Obviously, your figure and the branding and the campaigns inspire alone, but, but how are you helping future leaders pursue social enterprises? I mean, extreme poverty. Are you trying to own that space or are you welcoming others to contribute to? Yeah, I mean... Many questions there. We're open and always encouraging people to think about extreme poverty. Mm. But beyond that, I think it's fascinating how if we went around any room and we asked people, what cause moves you? You know, what, what injustice in the world? Some people may, may mention a few, but you'll get a really diverse mix of responses. And I think it's incredible. I don't know exactly why. It's probably people's life experience and all the different things that have happened. But I, I love that in each of us sometimes as a drive. And so I, I think you've got to pursue that. You've got to discover that. You've got to unite with others, you know, find the, the common ground and, and move together. What are we doing? Look, job one is to move thank you forward and to keep pushing boundaries. You know, maybe breaking some glass ceilings or maybe just bumping our head into them and rethinking the strategy. We've got a job to do there. We're also open along the way. We released a book a couple of years ago called Chapter One, and it ended up being a really successful campaign. All the profit from Chapter One funds Chapter Two, the future of thank you. And so it's a way for consumers to contribute literally to the growth of the organization. Chapter One is, well, literally an open book on the inception and creation of thank you. It answers questions on how to make lasting change in the world. As thank you grows, Daniel plans to release his new learnings in chapter two. The idea behind it is that anything we're learning, you know, it's helpful for us, we'll share it. You know, if, if there's gold in there and the dirt to gold ratio, you know, it's often more dirt than gold, but if there is gold and it's valuable for you, take it and go, you know, so that's our approach. Thanks, Daniel. Terence, 
What's your biggest advice to young entrepreneurs and innovators in utilizing sustainable solutions for their businesses? I guess we've talked and Daniel's talked a little bit about justice and how we think about others in the world. And Peter Singer, who's probably the world's leading ethicist, talks about how another life somewhere else in the world is equal to, say, someone in your family and, and lives are equal. And I've been reading a book called um, What We Owe the Future by William McCaskill. And William was the youngest appointed philosophy professor at Oxford. And he talks about the life in the future and how that is equal to the life of the present. And sustainability is all about the future and where humanity is. And we talked about chapter one, we're probably on the first page of a book in terms of humanity. As a species, we're 300,000 years in, and usually mammals go for about a million years, and we could go a lot longer. But at the current rate, we're not going to get there, let alone 100,000 years, let alone a million years. And so I think if I was going to leave a piece of advice, it's to start thinking about the next generation and what business models you could create now that are suitable for the next generation and the generation after, rather than solving necessarily something that's next year's problem. Daniel, Terence, thank you both so much. You are true better heroes. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of Better Heroes. You can learn more about Terence at ey.com and more about Daniel at thankyou.co. And of course, you can learn more about EY Ripples and all of our impact entrepreneurs at ey.com slash EY Ripples. The links are in our show notes. Hey, before you go, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Better Heroes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also rate and leave our show a review to help others find out about the amazing work of our impact entrepreneurs. We'd like to thank our podcast producers, Human Group Media, who helped us bring this show to life. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. Better Heroes is a project of EY Ripples, a global program to mobilize people across the EY network to help solve the world's most urgent social and environmental challenges. By extending EY's skills, knowledge, and experience to impact entrepreneurs on a not-for-profit basis and forging collaborations with like-minded organizations, EY Ripples is helping scale new technologies and business models that are purposefully driving progress towards the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. The views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the global EY organization or its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time that they were made.